We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For this week's Remember That Game Rewind, throwing back to an episode from right after this year's draft in the spring. Enjoy the show. It's April 2005 at the NFL Draft. This is Remember That Game, the podcast about sporting events that take you on a journey and maybe chart the path of the zeitgeist. I'm your host, Thomas Emmerich, and my guest returning to the program is Pro Football Focus Head of Product, co-host of the PFF NFL Show, and Retro Jags aficionado, Steve Palazzolo. Steve, having rewatched the 2005 NFL Draft, what struck you most about the conventional wisdom back then? Oh man, first off, great to be back. I love talking the uh, the old NFL, a lot of fun here. Um, I, I, so I started watching this just around draft season. I kind of like watching the old drafts and everything. And you just hear, it was just a different time and a different way of covering the draft and everything. I, I don't know if it was the conventional wisdom thing, but certainly three running backs went in the top five. And, you know, I, I was rewatching the 98 draft recently and all of the analysis was like, when, when are the running backs going to come off the board? Right. They were running backs were almost seen as quarterbacks at the time from a value standpoint. I think people knew, I mean, it wasn't like this, it wasn't like a crazy, you know, decades ago type of era. People knew that the quarterback was the most important position, but in draft analysis, they still treated the running back position almost to the same level as the quarterback. When, When's Dallas going to get their running back? When when's this falling running back going to come off the board? They didn't do it with other positions, I don't think, as much. Um, so in the 05 draft in particular, three running backs go in the top five and nobody batted an eye. You know, nobody thought twice about it or anything like that. It was like, yeah, of course. Of course the running backs are going to go high. That's yeah. what they're going to do. And uh, the one other thing that from like a buzzword standpoint was like the West Coast offense. Everything was West Coast offense. Right. This implication that you know, this, this quarterback's going to throw a little bit shorter and we're going to rely. And it's like, what does the West Coast offense need? Well, they need yak receivers, but they also need big receivers and they need a pass catching running back. And they need, and then like the whole league was running this offense too. So it became a buzz phrase for every team. Every team needs this West Coast offense style of player. So that thing, that got said so many times, I think during this broadcast and during some of the others that I saw historically. Alex Smith going number one in this draft analysts were citing that he's an extension of the offensive coordinator. Was that trait viewed with pure upside at the time? And has that become more of a double-edged sword in evaluation over the years? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I was actually talking to a 
NFL analyst recently who was, I mean, it was like within the last couple of years and we were looking back at this draft and, you know, it seemed like Alex Smith aced everything before the draft, aced all of the, you know, the whiteboard stuff, just the overall knowledge and everything. Uh, for perspective, Mel Kuyper, I believe, had, had Alex Smith and Aaron, Aaron Rodgers seventh and eighth on his big board. So he said, hey, look, it's a, it's a toss up between the two and this and that. But yeah, Alex Smith was seen as the super smart quarterback that just, you know, knew the offense and was going to be able to execute it and run it and, and all that stuff. And yeah, I think that, I think that worked in his favor at that time. It may have been a little overrated, but I still think it's a, the idea of just being able to run an offense effectively is still a valued trait. It could be, it could certainly be overvalued because you have to, you have to be good at actually throwing the ball and handling pressure and, and all of that stuff. And if there's a disconnect, maybe that's the biggest thing. It's like you could be whiteboard smart, but maybe you don't have that uh, instinctive ability within a game. And that's where maybe the, the uh, S2 cognition test, which has gotten a lot of hype this year, which is you know, how well do you see movement and react to it and handle pressure and all that stuff. Maybe that's more valuable. But I think that was the thing that put Alex Smith over the top in that particular draft is that he seemed like he – he was going to own an offense and know it inside and out and execute it, even though I don't think he was as physically talented as Aaron Rodgers. But I'm, again, I don't even know if that was clear as day at the time. Rodgers didn't have the same level of arm that we saw once he got into the NFL. Yeah. Alex Smith was really athletic in Urban Meyer's offense at Utah, running the ball and everything. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think, I think sometimes in the draft, though, teams will overrate the ability to just step in and play. And there, I think that's been overrated a little bit through the years where it's like, this guy knows this offense because he knew this coach and this coach is going to draft him. And so I think early success might be weighed a little bit too heavily in the draft process when you, when you hear that come up sometimes. Yeah. And you're hearing on the 2005 draft broadcast, how running back can change things right away. Chris Berman saying, Hey, when is uh, the Cadillac coming out of the garage? Bucks at five, the other teams in the top four, Niners, Dolphins, Browns. C.J. Stroud, the favorite to go first relatively late in the process. Same with Aaron Rodgers in 2005. Stroud drops to two. Rodgers slides to 24th. Picks one through five, all pass. Which of these QB needy teams had the best rationale for famously passing on quarterback here? None of them. Nobody has a good rationale for passing on it, but I would say, I don't know, maybe Tampa at five because they had, they had been winning with defense and they hadn't needed an elite quarterback to win a Super Bowl just a couple of years earlier. Um, Cleveland at three. I mean, they were always looking for a quarterback, you know, so that was, they, so there was, there was a rumor though, that the the Browns were going to trade up and, and get Aaron Rodgers and the, or they were going to get Alex Smith and then the Niners would take Aaron Rodgers. Um, and then Chicago probably has the most egregious, you know, miss, from a quarterback standpoint, but again, they felt like that, you know, Chicago's history was run the ball, play defense. And they had, you know, their history of having, you know, Gail Sayers and Walter Payton. And they were always trying to get back to that. I would say Curtis Enos. Um, who else did they draft just before Benson? It was someone else. Uh, they, had, they, had, the, they had Thomas Jones. Thomas Jones, who they've gotten. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the the Bears would convince themselves, yeah, Cedric Benson, you know, Cedric Benson, best prospect coming out of Texas since Ricky Williams at running back and all that stuff. So, 
I don't know. None of them have real excuses to, you know, to pass on the quarterback, but you can kind of see Tampa Bay saying it's in our, it's our history to win with defense, even though Gruden's there now. And, you know, he wants to sling it and run the ball and do all that stuff. But like they won with defense with um, Brad Johnson at quarterback. So you can kind of convince yourself, Hey, we're, that's how we're going to win. Therefore, maybe we don't need to, to reach on a quarterback if that's what they were thinking. Bears with Thomas Jones not getting less than what's blocked. What if uh, yeah. Cedric Benson can get more? After selecting Brown for the Dolphins, Saban said that Brown would put half our defensive team in the training room for a week every time we played Auburn. Seahawks and Saints GM, uh, formerly Randy Mueller, joined the panel saying, I think it's a little bit instinctive, to be honest with you. You've got to find a guy who gives you the feeling that an off-tackle six-yard play can be a 30-yard run each time. Amon Green gave me that feeling. Deuce McAllister gave me that feeling. This year, Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs each go top 12. Steve, do you think this feeling remains a factor in how the draft shakes out today? Yeah, maybe a little bit. I mean, I think I think teams are certainly much smarter. I mean, you're not I, I don't think you'll ever see three running backs go in the top five or anything. I mean, it was it was rare even for 2005 when it happened. Um, I, I think the feeling thing, though, is a big one. It is fascinating. I like listening to press conferences after the fact because it's really interesting, right? Like you spend months looking at prospects and analyzing them. And I have my opinions and other analysts have their opinions and people read all these opinions, but then you actually get to hear from the people that drafted these guys and say, here's what I loved about this player. Here's the thing that sold me on this player, whether it was an interview or a game or a workout or something. And you just hear all these, all these things. And I think a lot of teams, the, the feelings do matter, right? So like when a team goes into a draft discussion, they're, they're breaking down a player, right? So they'll raise a player, Ronnie Brown, and they'll say, okay, what, what's the, describe the player, go to the scouts, describe the player. What does he do well? He catches the ball well in the backfield. He runs hard. He does this, he does that. And then they talk about how they're going to fit into their team. He's going to be our bell cow. He's going to be a change of pace. Is he better or worse than what we currently have? But then they paint this picture of, okay, what did we do last year? And what can we improve upon? And I think a lot of teams still focus on that. So if you were bad in short yardage last year, say on third, you, you struggled on third and fourth and one, I think it does play in your brain as an evaluator to say, okay, I'm going to get this guy who's going to help us on third and fourth and one, or whatever it might be. So I think teams still have some of that. So the idea that, yeah, I want a guy that can take a six-yard gain into 30, that's this – that is a feeling that the evaluator has that they used to that, that they're used to having because of previous players and they want to feel that again. So they're kind of chasing that thing, even if it's not the most valuable thing in the world. It's just it's the thing they're chasing. Um, so I think that happens a lot in the NFL where it's like you're going through your picks and you come into the offseason and say, we need to get faster because I remember us being slow. We need to get more physical because we weren't as physical against our division opponents or whatever it might be. And I think that does factor in a lot into NFL draft decisions, much like, hey, when I'm picking a running back, I want a guy that I can, that I can take to the house at any time. That particular phrase, though, I think is like, very similar to what probably happened in Detroit's room this year where they said, Jameer Gibbs, what's the justification? And somebody brought up, oh, you shouldn't take running backs this high. You shouldn't do this or that. But somebody shouts from the other side of the room, but this guy could score from anywhere on the field. I could absolutely see that statement coming up 
And in their yeah, Jameer Gibbs is a playmaker. We'll throw it to him. We'll throw him bubble screens. He'll run out. He'll run receiver routes. We'll hand it off. We'll run him inside and outside, and he could score from anywhere on the field. And therefore, that's that's a big factor. And we're we're okay taking that at twelve because he's a playmaker and he's a he's a touchdown maker from anywhere on the field. Yeah, I mean the movie Air the Spring about Michael Jordan and, and Nike is about how they see someone do something special that makes them feel something. And then it leading to a very lucrative decision. Many movies by the same premise, which works because it's a the metaphor for this guy, he could break it for 30. But on the other hand, you have a lot of teams, especially in this 05 draft. We'll go into a game here called Good Process, Bad Outcome. All the glory goes to good process, good outcome, bad process, good outcome. So for the teams that managed a good process based on what we know now, maybe a little ahead of their time, or just didn't work out, let's throw them a bone and see if Steve thinks they make the grade. Browns at three, pass on Rodgers. But, you know, Lions took Joey Harrington at three a few years earlier. Now his cap hit will be 20 times higher than old Charlie Fry, or young Charlie Fry at the time, who they'll go get in the third round. Cleveland wouldn't so much as reach the playoffs for another 15 years. But is this good process, bad outcome? As far as the Browns going with Braylon Edwards in particular? Yeah. I mean, that the financial hit of the quarterbacks is definitely something like I wasn't analyzing football at the time. I wasn't thinking of that more as a fan at the time. But that has definitely changed over the last 10 plus years with the new CBA um, at PFF. And, you know, just general analysis, we talked a lot about if you don't have a quarterback, you have to take a shot. But there were far greater financial implications if you missed on the quarterback back then. So as you mentioned, you know, Joey Harrington and all the money that he's making in Detroit, if you miss on a top five or top 10 quarterback, the, the money was huge. So you did want to feel better about your evaluation. That's also where, yeah, like Aaron Rodgers had warts coming out. He had a weird throwing motion, basically one and a half years of good production out of Cal. Like Rodgers wasn't a slam dunk prospect and everything that, you know, he may not have gotten transformed in other offenses. He had three years to sit in Green Bay behind far. Um, so, yeah, I think Cleveland was fine in what they were doing. Yeah, they were rumored to try to to try to try trade up to get Alex Smith. They were going to trade up to get Alex Smith at one. The Niners were mulling it over, and the Niners were going to take Aaron Rodgers. And that's also – that was really interesting because Mortensen was reporting this, Chris yeah. Mortensen, on the broadcast. The previous year was the Eli Manning year. It's yeah. 2004. He tells the Chargers, nope, I'm not signing – so there was like, that was a thing back then, that a quarterback or a pick was going to not sign with their team or demand that they were going to go somewhere else or whatever it was. And the Chargers drafted Eli Manning at one, and then they immediately flipped into the Giants who drafted Phillip Rivers at four. So that was fresh in everybody's mind. And then there was a question, hey, if the Niners sign Alex, uh, draft Alex Smith, will he sign with the Niners? Like This was a question that was asked at the draft at that time. And, uh, you know, they said, yeah, there's no problem with Alex Smith's signability. However, the Niners apparently didn't have a huge difference in their grades between Alex Smith and Aaron Rodgers to the point where they were willing to trade down and take Rodgers at three if the Browns traded up from three to one. So I think the Niners, man, they would have really made out if they got Rodgers at three, I think, if he had developed properly. Um, and then the Browns. I guess they don't really miss out on anything because Alex Smith going to Cleveland, I don't think anything great would have turned out there. We'll take a shot on Braylon Edwards. He had a couple of good years and um, and just go from there. But yeah, I think that was decent by the Browns, yes. And then go to pick seven. Brought about a spirited debate between Sean Salisbury and Mel Kuyper. 
Troy Williamson or Mike Williams? Vikings have Donnie Culpepper, just traded Randy Moss. Vikings go Troy Williamson to address not only positional need at receiver, but also the need for speed with the draft's prominent field stretcher to replace Moss. Good process, bad outcome? I think the process was okay. I don't know. My my co-host on the PFF NFL podcast, Sam Monson, will not call it good process. He does have some uh, Vikings ties and doesn't like the idea of Randy Moss gets traded. Let's get the next fast guy in here. He'll be the next Randy Moss. So I think he would vote bad process. I think what's interesting there, though, is uh, Mortensen. So Mel Kuyper loved Mike Williams at the time. Mike Williams was his number one player on the board. He had just sat out his final year at USC. He was already a big-bodied, huge receiver. The NFL had been I – mean, and college football had really been creating a whole bunch of big-bodied, massive targets. Um, you know, Roy Williams and Charles Rogers, all those, all those Lions draft picks. But also guys like Andre Johnson are coming through and Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, there is just a slew of big-bodied receivers in this decade. and and Mike Williams is the next one. And uh, Mel loved Mike Williams, loved him. And then, you know, the other guys, they seemed to think, yeah, Troy Williams, it was fine. I don't think it seemed like a stretch at the time, but the big question was catching the ball, right? He was super fast and he, and he didn't catch the ball effectively. And certainly that carried over to Minnesota where he did not catch the ball very effectively. Yeah. He had flashes of a couple deep, a deep, you know, deep passes here and there before career touchdowns. So it certainly didn't pan out. I thought the process was, eh, just okay. But I love speed receivers. I love taking that chance on speed receivers because they can change the game. And just, unfortunately, Troy Williamson didn't end up being one of those guys. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. 
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Kuiper had some opposition but was marching under the Mike Williams banner. Salisbury argues in favor of Troy Williamson, I could teach a receiver how to be a crisp route runner. I can't teach speed. Kuiper, he ran faster than Jerry Rice coming out of Mississippi Valley State. It ends up coming out of draw as we find, go to the, the Lions at number 10. Third consecutive year, Matt Millen perhaps saying, hey, we see where this league is headed. But unfortunately, the Lions are headed well into a 30-something year playoff wind drought. Good process, bad outcome. I love the process of drafting receivers. I'm all in on that. I sound like a fantasy football player sometimes when I analyze the draft. I, I do believe you win with multiple receivers on the field. Now, it certainly didn't work out. Charles Rogers, Roy Williams, Mike Williams. Was that the order? I believe that was the order yep. for, the, for the Lions picks. And then two years later, Calvin Johnson. Yep. So four out of five. And they finally, like Roy Williams was a hit, certainly not at the level of Calvin Johnson though. But yeah, I think Matt Millen had a rough stretch in Detroit. There were certainly some other things that went south. But I thought the idea of load up on receivers here, try to cover this, was great. Uh, the Mike Williams thing was interesting because, again, he, I think he, he sat out his final year at USC, and he wasn't that dynamic guy. There was definitely a bunch of 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", receivers who weren't dynamic enough for the NFL. And it was kind of this blind spot. Like when you watch Larry Fitzgerald run and run routes, and then seven or eight years later, you see AJ green, Julio Jones, those types. When you watch them run routes, they, they are, they're smooth. They're crisp. They can create separation. Mike Williams never really felt like that guy to my, you know, untrained early twenties. eye at the time never really felt like that guy. So maybe the player wasn't right, you know, had some issues, but I thought the process was, fascinating win with all the receivers man you know win win by creating big plays uh mike williams certainly didn't didn't pan out for detroit but he did that he showed glimpses that one time when pete carroll got his hands on him in 2010 with seattle but he battled weight issues and all that stuff but yeah i thought it was a good process that the lions who everybody started laughing at lions pick all those receivers but uh, i thought it definitely could have panned out better in uh, in a different world for the Lions. Yeah, in retrospect, Roy Williams had a really nice year with John Kitna, fun pass out, and then Calvin Johnson hits. Raiders move up from 26th to 23rd, one pick ahead of the Packers, with Rodgers still on the board, and only give up a fifth rounder to do it. They get the top cornerback on their board, 99 speed in Madden or something up there, then load up more at corner in the second round with Stanford route. Shotgun approach to drafting the cornerback position. Maybe uh, the Packers took notice. They go quarterback in round three, get their guy Andrew Walter out of Arizona State, take a, or at least take a flyer there, and have Kerry Collins as the veteran arm on roster, regaling them of the 2000 NFC title and what it takes to play at that level. Good process, bad outcome? No, that's bad process because they traded up and didn't, didn't draft Rodgers. They said, yeah. oh, I got Kerry Collins. We're good. We'll get the quarterback later. It, so when you're watching the broadcast, I had forgotten about this part. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers, they're showing him in the green room. And it's like oh. the biggest story. He's dropping, he's dropping, he's dropping. 
And then they're like, there it is. There's a trade up. Somebody has traded it up to 23. Oh, gosh. And this this has to be the quarterback, right? This has to be it. And no, it's baby in Washington out of Nebraska because he's crazy fast. And that's who Al Davis drafts. And the fastest guys and the best athletes. And yeah, obviously, if it was Rodgers, the process would have been sound. Um, but yeah, I think that's rough process by the Raiders. They end up Andrew Walters, the starter in 06 when they could, uh, for most of the year, I think it was, when they could barely get the ball to Randy Moss. They had just traded for Randy Moss. That's the other thing, too. We could have seen Aaron Rodgers and Randy Moss that would have been together nice. with the Raiders, right? <laughs> I mean, that would have been amazing. That would have been Al Davis's uh, thing. The, yeah, and, and I mean, Moss had plenty of good quarterbacks. It was just We were just on our podcast, just recorded something, talking about Moss and the fact that he had Jeff George, who had a cannon, Randall Cunningham, who had a cannon, Dante Culpepper. Like those were his first three quarterbacks, Brett Johnson in there too, but those guys could get the ball down the field to him. Tom Brady, you know, he does have a really good arm. They can get the yeah. ball to Moss. Moss played with some good quarterbacks to play to his skill set. Uh, but Rodgers would have been fun. I just couldn't believe, yeah, they traded up. It seemed like, all right, this is the quarterback. And they said, no, it's maybe in Washington. And then Rodgers goes the next pick to Green Bay. So, yeah, I'll say bad process by the Raiders there. Bad process, brutal television. The Aaron Rodgers uh, sat through, perhaps shaped his career in some ways. As a returning guest in a connoisseur of 90s Jags football, the Brunel Jags being the last team to bounce John Elway and Trell Davis from the playoffs, no one else has that claim, and no one else ever will. Mark Brunel is no longer there. He's tutoring Jason Campbell. How much did the outcomes of the these 2004 and 2005 drafts change what you wanted to see from the Jags approach? Yeah, I was definitely a big Jags fan at the time, even when they did, did uh, trade Brunel to to Washington. Uh, by the way, when Campbell got drafted, they had John Jansen, Washington's tackle, as one of the analysts. Yeah. And he was buddies with um, Patrick Ramsey, who they had drafted a couple years earlier. Right. And he said something to the effect of, oh, this is Patrick Ramsey's team. Joe Gibbs already told him it's Patrick Ramsey's team. So they already had Brunel on the roster, Patrick Ramsey was there after like a couple starts at the end of the 04 season. And then they drafted Jason Campbell in the first. And of course, Brunel ends up being the starter for all of 05 and into 06. And then Jason Campbell finally does take over. Patrick Ramsey was never really heard from again, I don't think. Um, but John Jansen was all excited. I mean, he was not excited. He was kind of upset that they drafted a quarterback when his buddy Patrick Ramsey was the guy. Um, Jacksonville, what a crazy couple of years too, because they go Reggie Williams in 2004, another one of those six, three, six, four receivers. They get him at nine overall in 04. And then in 05, they draft Matt Jones, a quarterback from Arkansas converting to receiver who also gets drafted ahead of Aaron Rodgers. But Jacksonville is building around Byron Leftwich and they weren't at the extreme as the lions as far as, but they went back to back receiver. So they went Leftwich as their quarterback in 03 Reggie Williams as their receiver in 04. They also got Ernest Wilford, the receiver out of Virginia Tech. I think that was 04. And he's 6'4. And then they bring in Matt Jones, who's 6'4, 6'5, and ran the slowest looking 4'37 I've ever seen at the combine because he's tall and long, right? So the Jags were like, we're doing the same thing Millen's doing, right? We're going to win with receivers. And we're going to have the biggest group of receivers you could find. They're all 6'4, they're all 6'5, these big body targets. For Byron Leftwich. And then even the next year, they bring in Mercedes Lewis, who's a monster. 
tight end as well in the second, uh, late first, late first round. So yeah, the Jags were, they were building a team and like Jack Del Rio's image, which was the Marcus Stroud and John Henderson, huge defensive tackles, right. huge receivers. They were going to run the ball, run play action, vertical passing attack. So that was the thing. Like when, when quarterbacks were being classified back then, they were either big arms guys that wanted to stretch the field or they were West Coast guys. If anybody didn't have a cannon for an arm, they were West Coast guy. <laughs> Even though Brett Favre was excelling in the West Coast offense with his cannon, right? So Leftwich was not a West Coast offense guy. Long release, very good velocity, throws the ball down the field. So they were a vertical passing attack, and they wanted to get vertical with those receivers. They draft Matt Jones. And what an interesting career Jones had. He ended up having the drug issues. But they, the first game that they played in 05 against Seattle, they used Matt Jones in like seven different ways. He was taking direct snaps. He was taking handoffs and arounds. It was like, wow, they found the Arkansas quarterback, Matt Jones, who Matt Jones, who was not a good passer, was a great runner, ran 4-3-7. He's 6-4-6-5. They're going to use him as this unique weapon. And they did it week one against Seattle in 05. And he was doing all sorts of like gimmicky forward-looking things. It was like the last time they even did that. It was like week two, that stuff went out the window. And Matt Jones just became another receiver. And he never became a deep threat with size at 4.37 speed. He became a good possession receiver. His 2007 season, I think it was, was very good. He was just a good possession. He caught some slants, moved the chains. But he was weird because he was a converted quarterback. He never had great ball skills. Couldn't throw him fades. He never really won down the field. He would win on short routes. He became a an uber possession receiver for the Jags. So, yeah, it was an interesting time for Jacksonville. I mean, they ended up being really good in 05. They were good in 07. I think Del Rio had a, a decent run there where he built a, just a good, solid team. They just couldn't get over the hump because the, the quarterback play, you know, it's so tough when you don't have elite quarterback play. It was always good, not great whether it was Leftwich or Garrard under center. So. so I guess we could end with a game called Who's Popping in Your Model? A couple guys that I'd love to see block for Fred Taylor, who is still piling thousand-yard seasons at the time, were Evan Mathis to the Panthers in round three and Chris Myers to the Broncos in round six. Not your prototypical downhill road graders, but could really make a zone-heavy approach thing, like that Myers landed in a Shanahan system they don't have the pedigree or style of Logan Mankins who went first round to the pads here. And they won't have the inside track to every all pro team and that kind of notoriety. But hopefully some website will come along and give them their due. Strangely out of England, maybe. So they were popping in my model. Who's popping in your model? Do you think DeMarcus Ware out of Troy would have been a model guy or, or who, were you, who were your guys? All right. I got to touch on what you're talking about here. Evan Mathis and Chris Myers. I mean, PFF finally started grading players in 08. I didn't join the company until about 2011. But yeah, Evan Mathis was this zone blocking favorite for a while. He had 90 plus PFF grades every year from 2009 through 15. Always graded well. Always graded well in the run game. And Chris Myers was the same thing. Perfect Shanahan scheme center. Makes those incredible reach blocks. He's kind of undersized and moves really well. So yeah, he would like those guys were fun. And uh, yeah, they would have been great for uh, for my Jags back then. I think if we were watching college back then, I think Demarcus Ware absolutely would have popped. You know, he was he was a defensive end at Troy, basically 
the other interesting note, as they were talking about, Dallas was thinking about taking Marcus Spears at number 11. They had picks 11 and 20. Yeah. Spears was like your old school prototypical 300-ish pound, 3-4 defensive end. And where and they wanted both guys, and they got both. Demarcus Ware at 11 and Spears at 20. I mean, it, from Bill Parcells, 3-4 defense, that was perfect. But I think, yeah, I think Ware and Merriman, Sean Merriman, the two rush backers, basically, I think they would have had great college production that would have shown well. Um, I bet David Pollock, you know, didn't get to see his career at Georgia, uh, you know, coming out of Georgia, his career at Cincinnati because of the neck injury. I bet David Pollock would have graded really well in college. I bet the guys, I mean, hindsight's easy for me here. I bet the guys that didn't pan out would not have popped in the model, man. I bet they wouldn't have had the best production. I bet Alex Barron at 19, the tackle out of Florida State, would have had some some rough pass blocking grading that would have said, eh, buyer beware here in the first round. Absolutely. I don't know if we're going to take this guy, you know? Um, so those would be my predictions, especially those pass rushers. I think Demarcus Ware, Sean Merriman, their Merriman, that stuff usually translates well at the next level. So I bet they were dominant in college and PFF grading. This has been another episode of Remember That Game. Please rate, review, subscribe, and check out more episodes.